Welcome to Bangalore Revival Center, a church dedicated to loving God and serving people. Today, Pastor Bridget concluded the teaching series, Emmanuel. This is a teaching series with the heart of hosting God's presence in our lives. We believe this word will be a blessing to you. I'm going to take you to the book of Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 1. This is a portion of scripture which may be familiar to many of you. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to go through these uh, uh, verses and we're going to try and study some more keys about hosting the presence of God. The Bible says, so Solomon, he finished all his work on the temple of the Lord. You know who Solomon is? Solomon is the son of King David. And King David was the man who wanted to host the presence of God. He was a man who loved the presence of God. He was a man who said, one thing that I desire, one thing that I seek, it is to dwell in your courts and to gaze at your beauty all the days of your life. That, 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 that's who David is. And one day he woke up and he, and he began to cry. And he said, God, it is not fair that I live in a nice house when God lives in a tent, in a small tabernacle. Back in the days of David, there was no physical temple. And so he was really upset. He's like, this doesn't make sense. How can I live in a house made of wood, a house made of cedar, when God lives in a, in a, in a tent-like structure? I need to build a house for God. And and uh, he went and spoke to his man of God, his prophet. See, he had his principle of first speaking to his man of God before doing something. So he spoke to the prophet. He said, wow, this is a good desire. Why don't you go ahead and do it? And then the Bible says the prophet went and that night God spoke to the prophet. God said, no, ask David to pause. It is not his assignment to build me a temple. It is his son who is going to eventually build me a temple. But his assignment is to gather all the resources, to collect everything that is needed, necessary, so that we can finally build the temple. So that in time we can uh, build a temple, that Solomon can build a temple that is going to bring the presence of God, that's going to host the presence of God. So that's the story behind this scripture. When Solomon became king, David had given him an ordinance. David had told him, I have prepared everything. Here is the blueprint. Here is all the resources. I have all my life, everything that I have accumulated, it is for the purpose of building a temple for God. It is, a, it is for the purpose of building a house for God. So finally, after years of hard work, Solomon, he finished all his work on the temple of the Lord. So here is a wise man. He has put all his wisdom, he has put all his resources to make sure that they build a temple for the Lord. And guess what? It was hard work. He used all his resources. He used all his friendships with all the neighboring kingdoms who can provide him with the right wood and with the right materials, everything that they needed. He made sure to connect with the right people to bring that into the nation, to bring it into Jerusalem so he can build, he can finish the temple that is going to host the presence of God. So, so you should understand his heart was that God, we want to build you a place. We want to build you a house that is going to be 
of the highest excellence. We don't want to do a cheap work for you. We don't want to do an ordinary job. We don't want to do mediocrity. We want excellence. When we say, when we want to host God's presence, we want to do it with the highest, with, with the highest excellence. You know, it cannot be, you know, half-baked. It cannot be half-cooked. And so, so Solomon, after years of hard work, he finally finished the temple of the Lord. The Bible says in verse the, the same verse following line, he says, then after finishing the temple, then he brought all the gifts that his father, David, had dedicated, the silver, the gold, and the various articles, and he stored them in the treasuries of the temple of God. So as soon as he finished the temple, you know, before the temple could be uh, a place where people can come and start enjoying worshiping God, the first thing that he did is he brought the silver and the gold and all the precious things that his father had dedicated. See, David, he had, during his life, he had, every time he would come back from a war, he would set aside, dedicate some stuff saying, this is for the temple. This is not for my house. This is not for our kingdom. This is not for anything else. This belongs to the temple, okay? So everything that was dedicated, everything that was kept aside for the temple, that's the first thing that Solomon does. Once he builds the temple, he brings all of those things that his ancestors, that his parents had accumulated to give to God. He brings them and he gives it. He brings it to the temple of God. Now, see, this is the principle I want you to understand. Solomon could have just said, okay, even if it is in my house, it's still God's money, right? Come on. Even if, if it's dedicated to God, let it be in my house, let it be in the temple of God. It's the same thing, you know, it's God's money because it's dedicated to God. But he said, no, there is a place where this, this has to be in. So he created a treasury in the house of God and he brought all the stuff that was in his house, that was in his palace, he brought it to the house of God and he said, let this be in the treasury of God. Let this be in the presence of God. Let it be in a place where God will live, where God will abide. See, if you can find a place where you can store your money. I mean, see, the Jesus, Jesus said it like this. Jesus said, do not store your wealth or your riches in a place where moth can eat it up, where, where it can get rusted. Jesus said, find a place where your money will not get eaten up, where your money will not get stolen, where your money will not get taken away from you, where your money will have eternal value. Find a place like that and store your treasures there, Jesus said. And that's what this guy is doing. He found a place where God's presence is going to live in. And he said, I'm going to store all the things that my father has dedicated for God. See, when I say all the things that they have dedicated, it's, it's not like a percentage of the things that David had. It was everything that he had. See, you wouldn't see anything. You wouldn't see David telling Solomon, saying, okay, uh, so I have saved up 10 lakhs. Out of the 10 lakhs, 1 lakh belongs to God. 9 lakhs, uh, you know, 1 lakh for Solomon, 1 lakh for Absalom. He didn't do that. He said, this is what I've saved up. This is for the house of God. See, everything that David has done. See, 
when Solomon built the temple, he did not build it using the resources his father gave him. He built it with the resources that he accumulated with his friendships, with his own leadership. And then all the things that his father gave, it was a contribution into the church. He said, okay, now let this belong to the treasury of the house of God. Let me, let me read it further. And he said, and then, and then it goes on to say, then he summoned for all the elders to come. All the elders from all the, all the towns and all the Levites and the priests to come. You remember last, times, uh, last time I taught you something. In the Old Testament, there was, you know, uh, 12 tribes of Israel. In the 12 tribes, there was one tribe called the tribe of Levi. And in the tribe of Levi, there was a clan called the Kohathite clan. This Kohathite clan were the ones who had the calling, who had the job of making sure that they, they can carry the presence of God. They can carry things. They can carry these objects that bring uh, that, uh, the ark of God, the, the sacred items in the temple of God. So it says, when all the elders of Israel arrived, the Levites, they picked up the ark. Who are these Levites? We know who are these. They are the Kohathites. Okay, they're not just Levites, they're the Kohathites. The Levites, they picked up the ark. Then the priests and the Levites, they brought up the ark along with the special tent. See, see, this ark was in a special tent during the days of David. And what David did is he set up this special tent and he set up people for them to worship around this tent all through the day. Like he's, he made a special roster. You know, 24-7, there will be Levites that will be worshiping before this tent all through the time. You know, that's what David did. And the Bible says they brought this whole tent and the ark, uh, these Levites, they carried the ark and they brought and all the sacred items. You remember the sacred items? Seven sacred items in the tabernacle. It said all the sacred items that had been in it, they brought them and they brought it into the most holy place of this new temple. They carried it. They brought it into this new place that Solomon had built. So what is the first thing that came into the temple? The first thing that came was the offerings, the, 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 the money, the treasury, all the gold, the silver, and all the precious things that David had dedicated for the temple. The second thing that came was the ark, then all the sacred items that belonged to the temple. All of that was brought in. And then the Bible says, verse 6, are you ready for this? After they do all this, there before the ark, what did King Solomon do? King Solomon and the entire community of Israel, they sacrificed so many sheep. Goats and cattle that no one could even keep count. So what did they do? They, Solomon went through this whole process, you know. Like what, what have we been doing in this last four months? We were going through a process. We were learning keys and principles to build a temple for God. To build a breeding, a, a hosting ground for God's presence to live in. And then we see that, the, uh, that they bring all the, the, the money that was dedicated for God's purpose, for God's use. They bring all of it into this temple. 
Then you see they bring, finally they bring the ark, the ark that carried, they were supposed to carry the presence of God. They brought the ark, then they brought all the sacred items. And as soon as everything was in place, the Bible says, then they began to worship. Then they began to give to God. Now, now this is not the giving that David had given. This is not the giving that, you know, all the surrounding people. No, this is the giving of the people that were interested to, to, to really uh, enjoy this temple. This was the people who will be benefiting from this temple, Solomon and the people. And the Bible says Solomon began it. It was not the people that began. The leader who, who built the temple was Solomon. Solomon began. And Solomon and the entire community, they began to sacrifice so many, so many sheep, so many goats, so many cattle that they could not even keep account of that. So we are wondering, we are expecting and we are asking God to come down. We are asking God to do something out of the ordinary. We want him to manifest in our lives. We want to host his presence. But do you know that that doesn't happen if there is no sacrificial worship. Amen. Not just worship, but sacrificial worship. Worship, anybody can do. But tell me about sacrificial worship. Tell me about a worship that where you have paid a price, where you have broken your alabaster jar. It says that they kept worshiping and they kept worshiping. Like, so usually... You would see that there is a scribe who is standing and who is counting. And he's saying, okay, Solomon gave 5,000 goats and then his wife gave 2,000 goats and his son gave 1,000 goats. You know, they are writing because, you know, if you read the book of, uh, the, the historical books of the Bible, you would find exactly how much they gave to God. But here it says that they gave so much, that they worshipped so much that the scribes, they are like, okay. I don't think there is going to be any end to this. We have to keep, we have to stop keeping account of how much worship is going on in this place. We have to stop accounting for all the money that is coming into the church because this is too much. In fact, if you read at a later verse, you would say that there were so much offerings brought in that there was no more space in the temple of God for that offering. See, when Solomon built this temple, he built it with all its magnificence and, and he built it thrice the, the size of the previous tabernacle. In every way, it was three times bigger than the previous tabernacle, which means it has more space, more capability. And yet, all the, the whole place was filled. There was no more place left for more offerings to be brought in. See, we all want the results of this story. But what we don't understand is the price that they paid to achieve the kind of results in this story. So if you read this story, this is one of the most glorious portions of the, of the, the history of Israel. Where just like God came down on the mountain when, when Moses went up the mountain. The Bible says God came down into this temple. And everybody could see it. Everybody could understand it. And, and they repeatedly, it was, not one, it was not a one encounter. It was repeated encounters back to back. They could see it. They could sense it. And they could continue to, uh, you know, encounter with this presence but this is the price that they paid so that they can host the presence of God in such an intense manner so my question to us is this 
what are we willing to sacrifice i'm not saying what are you willing to sing i'm not saying what are you willing to put as an offering i'm not saying what are you willing to do for god you know where are you willing to go no i'm asking you what are you willing to sacrifice what are you willing to break what are you willing to give up on so that we are able to host the presence of god in this season and and are you able are you willing to do it without keeping account are you willing to do it without saying oh it's already 20% that i have given to god it's already two days that i have can we reach a place where you lose account of how much you are giving to god can you reach a place where there will be no account of how much you've given to god what you've done to god see fire it always falls on sacrifice it doesn't fall on mediocre love or expression fire it falls on sacrifice and if you are sacrificing and if you are giving an account for your sacrifice then that is not truly sacrifice that is you trying to make somebody you trying to make god obligated to now help you back because you've given so much money because you've done so much to god no when you come to god you cannot be you cannot be giving an account you cannot be giving you know a, a list of things that you've done for god you cannot be coming and giving a list of things that you've you've served or you've obeyed the bible says there's sacrifice that was it was so big it was so powerful it was so great that nobody could keep account of their sacrifices the bible says then after they sacrifice it says then the priests they carried the ark of the lord's covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple the most holy place and they placed it beneath the wings of the cherubim see this cherubs were uh, uh, you know they were fashioned out of gold and it was fashioned in all of all brilliance see these cherubs were the same cherubs that were uh supposed to be placed outside the garden of eden so the garden of eden was where god encountered where his presence was made available to his people but when the people were disconnected when they were pushed out of the garden of eden there were two cherubs that were placed there to make sure that nobody comes in into this garden of eden experience and when god made the uh, tabernacle when god made the ark the same funda went into here where people should not be peeping into the ark to see the glory of god so there was two uh, cherubs that were placed uh, on the ark and this ark was placed in between these two cherubs and the cherubs their wings would cover what is in the ark so the ark will not nobody can see inside the ark the bible says the priests they they carried the ark of the lord's covenant and they placed it in a particular place so they carried this presence and they gave a particular place they gave the most important place in the temple to this presence they gave the most valuable place the inner sanctuary the place where nobody could easily walk into they gave that place to this particular presence of god so i want to ask you this see when we live a sacrificial life when we live when we worship god sacrificially one of the best ways for you to identify 
that, that you're living a sacrificial life is if you can show me where you have placed the presence of God in your life, I'll tell you how much you value that presence. See, here the Bible says they carried this presence of God and they placed that presence of God in the most important place in the whole temple. They had built this temple in such a way that the ark that carries the presence of our God will get to be in the, in the, in the most holy place, in the most, um, s- most sacred place in the temple, the most uh, set-apart place in the temple, the most consecrated place in the temple is where they will place the ark in. And the Bible says they carried this ark and they went and placed this ark in that most holy place. So my question to you is this, where do you place God's presence in your life? How do you value his presence? How often do you acknowledge what God is doing in your life? God's presence in your life. How often do you acknowledge that? See, when you see your, you know, your lifestyle, when you see your, the way that you respond when the presence of God comes, where the way that your body responds, the way that your, uh, your mind responds, the way that your, the, your physical posture responds when the presence of God comes, that says a lot about how much you value that presence of God. That says a lot. See, if, see, if, if the king of kings is, is walking into our midst week after week, how do we value that presence? What do we do? What kind of place have we given him in our midst? What kind of place have we given him in our home? How do we respond to that presence of God? What kind of priority have we given him in our personal lives, in our relationships? Do we truly acknowledge his presence when he comes in? And when we acknowledge, how do we acknowledge? Is it like how we acknowledge the presence of a family member that you have taken for granted, or do you acknowledge him with the honor, with the glory that is due to him? See, when, when the kings in the old days, when they would walk into their court, everybody, they would just go on their knees. Now, these, these, these guys, they've been seeing this king every day. You know, the, the king lives in this palace. He, this is his court, yeah, courtroom, right? Every day they've been seeing this king. And yet every single time the king comes, they will go on their knees and they will honor the king. They will respect the king. They will acknowledge his greatness. And there'll be somebody who will be shouting, saying, long live so-and-so king. See, if you see a revelation of how things happen in heaven, how worship happens in heaven, you would see these seraphims that are worshiping God. And what are they doing? They are worshiping that the Bible says with two wings they have covered their feet. So that their feet will not be visible in the presence of God. So that their feet will not be shown in the presence of God. And, the, and with two they cover their faces. So that they are not even going to look at the presence of God. But they don't become familiar with the presence of God. And with two, they will fly and, and they would be singing holy, holy, holy. And they've been doing this for all eternity. Can you imagine this? And tell me what 
place have you given to the presence of God in your life? How do you value that presence of God? How do you want to value that presence of God? What changes do you want to bring about in the way that you value the presence of God in your home, in your lives, when we come together as a church? How do we value that presence of God? Do we, are we, when the presence of God comes, are you still able to just, uh, you know, just, Ignore that presence of God, be insensitive to that presence of God, and joke around with people. I mean, no, there's nothing wrong in having fun. But see, when, when you know that God is desiring for your attention, that is not a time when I want to give attention to anybody else. You know, can we respond to God's presence even when other people, other things are, are demanding your attention, are demanding for your, you to respond to them? Can we give the presence of God the most holy place in your life, the most sacred space in your life? Can that belong to the presence of God? Can that belong to hosting the presence of God? Can that be the purpose, the, the, the very thing that that will cause everything to pause, everything to be stopped. When you sense the presence of God, when you feel the heartbeat of God, that you will drop everything to go and to place the presence of God, to respond to the presence of God. The Bible says, then the priests, they, they left the holy place. Uh, all the priests who were present, they had purified themselves uh, whether or not they were on duty that day. So, so what we see here is that, you know, they not, where I'm trying to take you is that these guys, they went through particular processes, right? What is the first thing that they did? They finished building the temple. Then they brought the gifts, all the offerings. They, they brought it into the temple. Then they brought the, uh, they picked up and they brought the ark uh, and the sacred items in, in the old tent. They brought it into the temple. And then they placed the ark, the presence of God, they placed it in the most holy place. And then the Bible says, then the priests, what they did is they left the holy place and all who were present, they purified themselves, every single person. Now, the, the, the phrase that interested me is that there were those that were on duty that day, and there were those that were not on duty that day. There were those that were leading worship that day, and there were those that were not leading worship that day, but every single person, the Bible says, every single one of them, they purified themselves. So they knew, they understood that if, if one of us mess up, if one of us get this wrong, if one of us make a mistake in this, then, then we will all lose. See, what, what happens with so many, of, so many times, what happens with us is we consecrate ourselves specifically when we have to do something. When we have to lead worship, right? When we are on the stage or when we are preaching or when we are ministering. Those are the times when we consecrate ourselves. Those are the times when we specifically, we keep aside social media, we keep aside everything. But what on the Sundays when you're not called to lead worship? How do you dress on that Sunday? How do you come prepared on that Sunday? Do you, do you understand what I'm trying to teach you here? Read it once again with me. It says, then the priests, they left the holy place and all the priests who were present, every single one that were present, they purified themselves whether or not they were on duty that day, every single one of them. 
whether or not they were on duty that day. So can I, I'm not talking to ordinary people today. I'm talking to the priest, the, the royal priesthood of this New Testament church. I'm talking to you guys who are priests in the New Testament church. Don't wait for somebody else to, you know, purify themselves and come and bring a word. Hey, wait a minute. Can we all, whether or not we have a responsibility, whether or not we are in the leadership, whether or not we are on active duty, sometimes we take a back seat because, oh, today I'm not preaching or today I'm not leading worship or today nobody is going to... Uh, be expecting me to do anything. Today I'm going to take a back seat. Do you know that each of us, you are on duty 24-7. You are on, you're in, the, in the battle all the time. There is no off time. Just because you took a break from the worship team, that doesn't mean you're having an off time. That you can do whatever you want to and you can say whatever. No, even in that time, there is a high level of alertness that God expects from us. See, if we have to see the results that these guys saw, if we have to see the answers, the breakthrough, the victory, the, the manifestation of God's presence that these guys saw, then we have to activate the principles that these guys activated. So my question to you is this. Hey, can you imagine how you would come prepared to church if you had to preach? How would you prepare? How many days are you going to fast? You know, how, how, many, how much offering are you going to put that week, you know? How much, how much, how, what time would you wake up in the morning on a Sunday? What time, how, what will be your dressing sense if you were on the stage every week? Tell me about it. How will you purify yourself? If I tell you, you have to come and lay hands on people and pray for them and minister to them, how, will you, how, how hard will you pray the previous night? How will you consecrate yourself? The Bible says every single one of them did that irrespective of whether they were ministering or not. That was the key for, for their breakthrough. That was the reason. See, with us, we have all outsourced the job to the pastor who is preaching the worship leader who is uh, leading, the, the, the guy who is on the, in the musical instrument, the guy who is hosting, these guys, you know, you better dress well, you better pray well, you better, you know, do, do the right things and all of that. But we, we, we you know, today I'm on a break, you know, today I'll just come sit behind, you know, let me find the most comfortable spot right under the AC, you know, right in a place where I'm not too close to the door, I'm not too close to people, I can enjoy my time here. No, there is no break for a child, for a priest. If you believe you're a priest, there is no break from active duty. Irrespective of whether you're doing something or not, you are still supposed to be in that posture. You are still supposed to be in that place. You know, you know, my father, he said something the last week in which I've been praying. Your stature and your posture needs to match. See, if, you, if your stature is that you're a priest, then your posture needs to be that of a priest all through the time, irrespective of whether you are the one doing the sacrifice or not. If your posture and your stature does not match, then there is a challenge. Then that is hypocritic. See, if we are priests, we are priests 24-7. When whether we are on active duty or not on active duty. When we are on the stage, we expect everybody else to lift up their hands and dance and worship. But when we are off the stage, do we do the same things? 
Do we lift up our hands? Do we, do we dance? Do we worship? Do we give sacrificially to God? Or are we just, you know, just enjoying, you know, being part of the audience? Are we just playing with the person sitting next to us? Are we just taking for granted the presence of God that is moving in that moment at that particular point? Can you imagine how our church will be like if every single person coming into the church will come saying, man, I'm on active duty. I don't care if I'm singing today or not, but I'm on active duty and I'm going to worship. I'm going to sing. I'm going to give to God. I'm going to love God like I am the chief worship leader in the house today. I'm going to dance like today's worship depends on my dancing skills. I'm going to, I'm going to jump so high like everything depends on my personal worship. If all of us will come to church with that attitude, can you imagine the, the kind of worship that will go out of this place? See, it doesn't take a lot of, lot of Jonahs to sink a ship. It just takes one Jonah in, the, in a ship to sink the entire ship. So my prayer is that I will not be that Jonah. I'm not pointing at you. I'm pointing at myself. And I'm saying, Lord, when my church is worshiping, Lord, let me not be that Jonah that is going in the wrong direction. Let me not be that Jonah that is not prepared, that is, that is not purified myself, that is not consecrated myself, that is, that is not doing the same thing that everybody else is. I don't want to be the Jonah that is sinking this ship. I want to be the guy that is going to jump in no matter what, jump in no matter if I am given an opportunity or not, jump in no matter if I am acknowledged or not. I know that my worship is not for people. A priest, his job is to minister to God. That is irrespective of whether he is on active duty or not. It says each and every one of them, all the priests, they purified themselves whether or not they were on duty that particular day. And the Bible says, and the Levites who were musicians, I like this. Can you read it with me? It says, and the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Haman, Jaduthan, all their sons and brothers, they were dressed, somebody say fine. fine. It says they were dressed in fine linen robes. Of course, there is a spiritual meaning to it. And yet, can I say it like this, saying, hey, wait, even your dressing sense when you come to church matters. That's why I sent that message last night saying, hey, you know what? Prepare like you would prepare for a regular weekend service. How would you dress for a regular weekend service? How would you dress when you're on the stage preaching or leading worship? How would you dress on a day when you know that, hey, you are the center of today's service? How would you dress that day? How would you prepare that day? It says every single one of them, all the Levites, all the musicians, every one of them, they dressed in fine linen robes. And what did they do? The Bible says, and they stood at the east side of the altar and they were playing cymbals and lyres and harps. They were joined by 120 priests who were playing trumpets. So check this out. Now, what are they doing? They were all, they all purified themselves, irrespective of whether they're going to be playing anything or not on that day. Every single one of them, they purified themselves. Every single one of them, they dressed themselves in fine linen robes. And then they took their places and they began to play. And they began to now create a sound in the atmosphere. 
Even before they could open their mouths to sing something, they began to create a sound in the atmosphere. There was a sound of worship in that place. They began to play. You know, if, if what they had in their hand was a symbol with that symbol, they began to release worship from that symbol. Because they already know that we have sacrificed so many goats and sheep and uh, all these animals beyond count. Now it is turn for us to release the sound of our instruments. And they began to release a musical sound. The Bible says they all began playing. Whatever they knew how to play, they began to play. Now, let me ask you this. Can, can we take this as a challenge every Sunday when we come to church? At, Hey, we are not going to wait for the worship leader. You should understand the worship leader did not begin singing here yet. And yet they began playing. Every single one of them that were present, they began to play. And they began to release the sound. One by one, they, even before the coordination happened, the coordination happened in the next line, next verse, but even before the coordination happened, they began to release the sound together. And the Bible says, the next verse, it says, the trumpeters and the singers, they performed together and in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord. So they began praying, they began playing and slowly they developed a spirit of togetherness. Now, they, now it was no longer just, okay, I am playing, I am better than you know. Now everybody became a team, one team. It says they played together and they played in unison. So the performers or the, or the, or the musicians and the singers, they all began to not just express what was inside of them, but they began to heed to what others were expressing. See, if you have to do it in unity, you cannot just say, oh, I'm going to ignore everybody else, it's all me, I'm, I, it's just between me and God. No, what they did is they began to express their voice in coordination with the other's voices. They were actively listening to, okay, what is Pinky singing? Okay, what is Praise releasing? What is Chandrika singing right now? Let me, let me be in coordination. And there was a togetherness. And there was a unison. And, and, and so it was not a one-man show. At no point was it about, okay, uh, Sijo is leading worship and everybody else is like, oh, wow, what a good singer he is. And everybody was listening to each other and everybody was sensitive to one another. And there was a, a togetherness. There was a unison. There was a oneness that got developed as they came together to release that sound. So... If we have to see the kind of breakthrough that these guys saw, then we have to be willing to sometimes be quiet and listen to what somebody else is releasing in their worship and imitate what they are worshiping and imitate how they are singing and imitate what, what they are playing and, and, and just, just adapt. See, in the house of God, we, every one of us cannot be the be the ear. Everybody cannot be the nose. Everybody cannot be the mouth. We have to do it in togetherness and in unison. And when we do that, some of us will be more prominent than the others. And, and at that point, we have to be willing to just humble ourselves and say, okay, God, you're using this person. 
just use this person. I'm willing to adjust and I'm willing to go hand in hand with this person. And I'm willing to, to just embrace this person, welcome this person in. And, and together we would like to worship God. We would like to create a sound in this place. The Bible says, and accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they, they raised their voices and they praised the Lord in these words. So what did they do? They first started playing instruments. They, they put all the structure in place. You know, they went through this proper process. Built the temple, prepared for months, years for this temple to be ready. They brought all the offerings. Then they sacrificially gave to God. And then they made sure to bring the ark and keep it in its rightful place. And then they make sure to dress correctly. They made sure to give the right uh, you know, uh, the way that they will purify and consecrate themselves, uh, they, everything would be in the right place. And then, and then you would see how they brought a, a sync, uh, they began to be synchronized with each other. And there was a symphony in that place. There was a synergy where everybody were releasing a sound. And it was, it was not about one person's sound. It was the sound of a, a church. It was the sound of a temple, a, a, a whole, the body of Christ. They were making a sound. And it says, together they raised their voices and they praised the God in these words. Together. You know, it was a process. You know, when we read this scripture, we think, oh, wow, how quickly the presence of God came down. But it was not quick. That was a process. And in the process, some of them had to slow, become slower. Some of them had to pick up pace. Some of them had to become louder. Some of them had to become softer. Some of them had to sacrifice. Some of them had to change their clothes. Some of them, they had to purify themselves. Everybody did what they were supposed to do. It was not a one-person thing. Everybody did their part. And the Bible says, this is the words that they used. What is the words that they used? They said, he is good and his faithful love, it endures forever. And together, see, the focus is still on God. The preparation is on my end, but the focus is on God. The purification is on my end, but the focus is still on God. The consecration, the, the instrument playing and the synchronization happens in my level, but the focus still remains on Him. The Bible says they, they came together, they did all this and they focused and they said, you are good and your faithful love, it endures forever. When they became in sync, when they spent time synchronizing, see, our Efforts from Monday to Saturday has to be to become in sync with each other. When you meet in anchor groups, when you fellowship with one another, when you pray together at nights, when we do our Wednesday worship, all of that is preparation for when we gather together on Sunday morning. On Sunday morning is not a time for us to synchronize ourselves. Sunday morning we should already be in sync because we have we we been one body from Monday to Saturday. And Sunday morning when we come at eleven o'clock and we release one song, one song, you are good, and your mercy it endures forever. Your faithful love it endures forever. One line that is sung in church on Sunday morning, the Bible says, at that moment a thick cloud it filled the temple 
of the Lord. At that very moment, at that very point, a thick cloud came and filled the temple of the Lord. See, we want this moment. We, we are, all that we are doing, all the teachings in this church, all the ministry in this church is towards this particular moment. That one moment when God's presence comes in such great measure that he will come and fill this church. He will come and fill everything that we are doing. He will come and take over whatever we are doing. But this, to reach this moment, there is a process. A lot of dying is involved. A lot of giving up is involved. A lot of sacrificing is involved. A lot of, you know, oneness is involved. A lot of, lot of unison, togetherness is involved. A lot of, you know, clothes, the right kind of clothes that you need to wear. The, the right kind of song, the right kind of pitch, all that comes into the table is necessary by the time we reach this point. The Bible says at that moment, a thick cloud, it filled the temple of the Lord. Lord, we desire for this. We desire for that Shekinah glory of God to come and fill our gatherings week after week. Can you imagine a Sunday morning service where we don't have to wait for the Sunday morning service to get over? We open the service and the presence of God comes. And then we, we are not the ones leading anymore because the presence of God leads after that. And we just follow the presence of God. I, I mean, how effortless will those Sunday services be? How effortless will our gatherings be? It says, the next line, it says, the priests, they could not continue their service because of the cloud. The priests, they could not continue their service because of the cloud. So, can we, can we desire for a Sunday service where all the cameramen will, will get lost in the presence of God? Can we desire for a Sunday service when the singers on the stage, they will, they will be off because the cloud takes over? The, the cloud is now in control. The, the, the worship leader is not in control. The pastor is no longer in control. It says the priest, they could no longer continue. They could no longer stand or continue doing what they were supposed to do because of this particular cloud. Because the cloud just came and took over. The next line says, for the glorious presence of the Lord, it filled the temple. The glorious presence of the Lord, it just took over. See, this is the beginning point, the opening point of their encounter with God. This is when God comes down to be with them. The Emmanuel movement, God with us movement, where God just comes and, and he says, okay guys, you've done enough. You've sung enough. You've played enough. You've read enough. You've preached enough. Now let me take over. Now let me do what I am supposed to do. Now let me do what I'm, what I'm here to do. Amen? And the Bible says that this glorious presence of the Lord, it just took over the temple of the Lord. It just took over the temple of the Lord. If we are sensitive to his presence this morning, if we are going to respond in a like manner, like this priest, they responded, I believe that that same glorious presence of God will take over this service today morning. I'm not talking about something that will happen in a distant, uh, you know, in the next year or the year later. But if we are willing to give like never before this morning, if we are willing to worship like never before this morning, if we are willing to 
synchronize with one another like never before this morning. If we are willing to just purify ourselves, consecrate ourselves like never before this morning, then we will encounter that glorious presence of the Lord this morning. See, if you and I were in this point at this moment when that cloud came, we would go back home, we would talk about it to our friends and we would write it on our social media and this will be a testimony for the rest of our life saying how the glorious presence of God came. But guess what these guys did? They did not leave. They stayed there. They continued. The Bible says when the glorious presence of God came, Solomon stood up. Because now the priests, they have knocked out, right? They couldn't do anything. So finally, Solomon, he stood up and he began to pray a prayer. Then he began to ask something of this God. When the presence of God comes, is the best time for us to pray. Is the best time for us to commune. Is the best time for us to ask. And what did he ask for? He didn't ask saying, God, now that you're here, make sure that we're all doing, we're all wealthy and happy. And No, no, no. He asked for something very precious. It's a very long prayer. Go back and read it. Chapter 6, verse 41. Let me take you to chapter 6, verse 41. This is his prayer. And now arise, O Lord, and enter your resting place along with the ark, the symbol of your power. Wait a minute, Solomon. What do you mean arise, O Lord, and enter? We just read that his presence had already filled the temple. But he's saying, now he's again praying, now arise, O God, I need, I, I need more. Just come and fill me more. We, we are not happy with that one opening song and the presence came. Now won't you just arise and just come and fill us more? We are not satisfied. See, that is something about the presence of God. The more you're hungry for it, the hungrier you get. The more you thirst for it, the more thirsty you get. You never reach a point where you're like, wow, I've had enough, man. I, I can, I, I've had so much of presence of God today that, you know, you, you'd not reach a place like that. The more, more you receive his presence, the more you will want. Those that don't have a revelation of his presence... They'll get satisfied too fast. They'll go back and they'll be like, wow, this is a story to tell my family. You missed today's service. You know, we are all thinking about what we're going to do after the service. And here is Solomon saying, now arise, O Lord, and come and just make this your resting place. Enter your resting place. Arise and enter your resting place. God, our prayer this morning is that this church will become your resting place. Our prayer is that our worship will become your resting place. Our prayer is that our gatherings will become your resting place. Our prayer is that the symbol of your power, come and just enter this ark, the symbol of your power. Wait a minute, isn't the ark already filled with God's presence? Come on, do you know this? The ark is already filled with the presence of God. And now Solomon is praying, saying, Arise, O Lord, come and enter the ark. Come and be in this ark, along with this temple, along with the temple. Now also the ark, along with the ark. Just fill the temple and the ark. Just make this your resting place. Now there are so many things that we know is truth. 
We know God lives inside of us, right? We know God lives in our gathering together. But when we come together, can we just pray and say, God, you've shown up before. You've been so faithful in days past, in years past. Will you be faithful one more time and show up one more time? Will you please come one more time and make our home your resting place? Make our singing your resting place. Make our giving your resting place. Make our, make our worship your resting place. Make our church your resting place. And the ark, which is a symbol of your power, make that your resting place. The second prayer that Solomon prays is this. May your priests, O Lord, be clothed with salvation. May your loyal servants, they, may they rejoice in your goodness. What is the first prayer? Come and make this your resting place. Make the temple, make this place your resting place. And then he's now directing his prayer to the priests. These are the priests that prepared. These are the priests that made this day happen, right? Every person that purified themselves, every person that sacrificed, every person that worked towards this day, now Solomon is praying for those people. And he's saying, God, these priests that came, that worked hard, that, that consecrated themselves, that dressed themselves well, now you, why don't you clothe them in salvation? Why don't, why don't you make them so covered in this season that anybody that comes in touch with them, that wherever they go, they will represent salvation. They will represent the saving grace of God. They will represent what God can do for his people. See, salvation is something that only God can give to his people, right? Back in the old days and even in these days, salvation is something that only God does what only God gives. And yet, right now, here is Solomon saying, Lord, may your priests, may they be clothed in your salvation. So that when the priests, when they walk out of this temple, may they be something which will represent wherever they go. Let, them, let people look at them and say, wow, if I can be friends with this guy, I know I'll be saved. I know I'll be safe. If I can hang out with this lady, if I can, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know what he does. But if I can just work with this guy, I know that I will be protected. May your priest, may your priest. See, that's the result of us hosting the presence of God. That encounter with the presence of God. When we are in that presence of God, when we surrender ourselves to what God does, the Bible says that you and I, we will be clothed with salvation. And it says, and may your loyal servants. There are two types of people. One of the priests, one of the servants. It says, may your servants, may they rejoice in your goodness. Can I declare this over you today, that you be clothed in salvation. Father, my prayer for my church today, every person that is watching us online, every son or daughter that is receiving this word, every hungry person, my prayer over them is that they will be clothed in salvation. And this week, they will rejoice in your goodness, God. They will rejoice, not in, in their goodness, but they will rejoice in your goodness. Every person under the sound of my voice, I release such 
powerful manifestation of the goodness of God that there will be no other response but to rejoice. There will be no other response but to respond with great happiness. Father, we just bless your dear children right now. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Can I read on the third prayer that he prayed? He said, Oh Lord, do not reject the king that you have anointed. Remember your unfailing love for your servant, David. Now he is not just praying for the priests. Now he's praying for the leadership. <clears throat> the king and David. You know, the, the king is Solomon. David is the guy who made all this possible. The, and he's saying, now the guys at the top of this movement. Now he's praying for himself and he's saying, Lord, remember your unfailing love for your servant David and do not reject the king that you have anointed. This is your anointed one and this is a person who is serving you. Now why don't you reach out to him and help him to sustain this movement? So there is three levels of prayer. First prayer, He's saying, God, why didn't you come and inhabit this place? The second prayer, Lord, remember all the priests that are, that are purifying themselves. The third prayer, Lord, remember the king. Remember the anointed one and use him. Do not reject. Be faithful when your promises that you have made for your king. The Bible says, next verse, it says, when Solomon finished praying. Are you ready for this? It says, when Solomon finished praying, it says, fire flashed down from heaven and burnt up the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. Again, again. Wait a minute. How many times did this happen? See, if you read this, it, you, would go and you would see that this continued to happen for the next seven days. Seven days, this continued to happen. When we read about it, we're like, oh, wow, this is a one powerful movement. No, for seven days, on the eighth day, they had to have a special day of conclusion, a special concluding service. For seven days, God's presence continued to encounter them. Every time, when they first, they... They came through that process, right? They sacrificed, they purified, they brought everything in the right place, and they began to worship. When they began to worship, the presence of God came. And then they began to pray. Solomon, he raised up his voice, and then he began to pray. And when he prayed, the fire of God came, and it consumed the burnt offerings. You know, all the offerings that are... The fire came and consumed the offerings. And the Bible says, as the people watched, as the people saw, there was no, or, no natural fire there that day. Only the fire that came from heaven, which came and consumed everything. And the Bible says, and again, one more time, the glorious presence of the Lord came and filled the temple. The Bible says this time, the priests, they could not enter the temple because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. See, the previous time, they, were, they had entered the temple, but they could not do anything in the temple. This time, they could not even enter the temple. So you see the level of glory that is increasing See, what was possible in the last outpouring was not possible in this outpouring. 
what what the, the glory of the last outpouring what it would do it was greater in the next outpouring the glory kept going to the next level because they continue to persist and and pursue that glorious presence of god they remained there and the bible says now the priests could not even enter the presence of god the last time they could not do anything in that presence here they could not even enter the bible says when all the people of israel when they saw the fire coming down and the glorious presence of the lord filling the temple when they saw this when the nation saw this okay this is not talking about people in the church i'm not talking about you here we are the priests we are the ones that are going to bring consecrate ourselves and come and 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 bring the offerings week after week and we're going to worship we are the ones that will pray we are the ones that will sing and we are the ones that will release a sound and the bible says when when we do that fire will come it says when the people outside when they saw the fire and when they saw the glorious presence of god can we believe for this can we believe that these are the days when bangalore will see the fire of god falling upon the church when bangalore will see the the glorious presence of god fill the temple when india will see the manifest presence of god in this church through this church no 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 not not in the streets but here in this church they will see this church on fire they will see your life on fire the bible says when all the people of israel when they saw the fire coming down and the glorious presence of the lord filling the temple what did they do it says they fell face down on the ground and worshiped and praised the god of heaven saying he is good he is and his faithful love endures forever guess what happened the prayer or the song of the church now became the song of the nation who sang this earlier the priest sang it the levites sang it the same song that the levites sang the same declarations that the priest declared now became the declaration of the nation now became the declaration of people who don't have access into this holy place who don't have access into this temple now everybody in the nation they began singing the same song i believe that days the days are coming when our songs are going to go viral and people in the world people who don't know our god they're going to sing our songs they're going to hold on to our declarations they're going to confess the promises that we confess week after week you know these benedictions that we declare here in the house some of these benedictions they are going to catch up on it and they are going to declare out in the world there because they want what we've got they want the same revelation we have they want the same encounters that we have may your song be so powerful that it will begin to travel the length and the breadth of this city may it begin to travel the length and the breadth of this nation do you want to read the next verse you would think that the offerings are finished right you know we would think okay that's it amazing service good time you know they have offered so many offerings there is no offerings even to keep count of it it's done right read the next verse says in verse 4 of chapter 7 then the bible says the king and all the people 
They brought more sacrifice. See, they have already sacrificed more than you can count. Then they came. They offered even more sacrifices. At this point, the scribe is able to count and, and he mentions the exact count of how much was offered. But it says now this time, it's not the king and the priests. Not the king and the leaders. Now the king and the people of the entire nation begins to sacrifice. The same thing that the priests began to do in the church now became a culture of the whole nation. You know, the, the, the kind of giving that you are doing right now, you are setting a precedent for how our nation is going to give to God. Whatever we do in doing right now, you know, you have to envision yourself as a trendsetter. Because if you are going to give, you know, with, with stinginess, then your nation is going to give with stinginess. But if we are going to give with generous hearts, then our nation will be the most generous nation. You know, we are living in a time and a day when a majority of the church sometimes looks to the West for financial support. But I know, I believe that a time has come when India is going to be a, a reason to give and to bless and to serve the church all over the world. India will serve the nations. India will send missionaries. India will finance and, and, and send out businessmen to, to remote places of the world. And we will be the ones that will be givers. And that will happen when the church, when the priests, when the Levites, when the leaders, when the trendsetters of the nation, when they do it first. Whatever we do, our nation is going to follow suit. The Bible says the king and the people and all the people, they, they all offered sacrifices to the Lord. And the sacrifices were so much. It says there was no space. There was no more people to help with those sacrifices. It says the priests... Where sits the priest, they took their assigned positions, and so did the Levites who were singing, His faithful love endures forever. So you would think that, okay, now that the nation had a revival, they will take a step back and say, okay, now it's going to be an automobile. No, it says now they took their positions. Till now, they couldn't take positions because of the glory of God. But now they started taking their positions and they're like, okay. I will take the morning slot every morning. I'm, I'm going to just come and I'm just going to build an altar in this place. I'm going to do this. They took their assigned positions. All the priests and all the Levites, they just said, okay, I'm going to come and do this. Uh, the revival has come. See, many a times, it's not because the revival has not come. Revival has come, but because priests and Levites did not take their positions, there was nobody to sustain that revival. But here the Bible says the priests and the Levites, they said, okay, we need this revival to stay. We need this glorious presence of God to stay. So they said, okay, we will take our positions. Now we will, we, I, will, I, will come, I will, I will come every morning. I will come every afternoon. I will come every evening. You know, you know give me a, even a midnight slot. I am okay. I'll just come. I will come sacrificially to serve in the house of God, to serve the people of God. Everybody took their assigned positions and they began to sing and they began to worship. And it was a, a giant chorus and worship that was happening. It says in verse 8, for the next seven days, this, it's, it continued. King Solomon and all the Israel, they celebrated this festival of shelters for the next seven continued 
in his days. This went on and on. They will worship, the presence of God will come. They will pray, the presence of God will come. And the presence of God comes, the people will again rejoice and again worship. And again they will give to God. And again they will pray. And again they will worship. And again the presence of God will come. And again they will worship. You know, it's the, as much as the presence of God is the, is the destination, it is also the catalyst for your worship. As much as when you worship, the presence of God comes. When the presence of God comes, you will worship even more. You will give even more. You will pray even further. You will go further. You will go, you'll be deeper rooted furthermore. Continued. That went on for seven continuous days. And after that ended, and the Bible says Solomon finally had to send the people home. Not like they wanted to go home. They were too tired. He had to send them back home. Finally, after the eight days, it says, one night, after all of this happened, one night, the Lord appeared to Solomon. And he said, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this temple as a place for making sacrifices. Do you know what was this prayer? This was the prayer that he prayed in the midst of all these sacrifices that was happening. See, at that point, God just came and consumed the worship, right? Consumed all there. And right now God comes and now God gives him a specific word and God gives him the answers. If you read the prayer, if you read the answer that God gave, it was word by word answer to what Solomon prayed. Solomon had prayed saying, God, when your people pray here and, they, and if they are doing, going through this, please do this. And then God comes and says, yes. When my people are doing this and if they are going through this and if they pray like this, yes, then I will do this. Then I will heal the land. Then I will. Word by word, what Solomon prayed, God came and answered their prayer, answered Solomon's prayer word by word. See, you, do you see how the encounters are growing? Yeah. It began with God's presence just coming and they couldn't do anything. Then God's presence came where they couldn't even enter. But now... God's presence is no longer just in the temple. Where is Solomon sleeping? Come on, talk to me. Does Solomon sleep in the temple or in the palace or in his regular bedroom home? Now the presence of God has overflown from the temple and now the presence of God has reached his bedroom. The same presence of God that was encountering him in the church service is now become his personal encounter place on a daily basis where, where God comes and gives him detailed answers to things that he prayed when he was in church, to things that he declared when he was in a Sunday service, to things that he asked for when he was in the midst of revival. God comes and gives them a personal encounter during that week. Come on, church. I don't know if this doesn't excite you, nothing else will. Because I believe that this is a season where whatever God is doing here in the church is overflowing into our private space. It is overflowing into our personal times. The Lord is going to wake up some of us in the night hours and the Lord is going to speak to us. And whatever God is doing in the church it is not just going to overflow into the nation, but it is also going to overflow into your bedrooms. It is going to overflow into your private chambers. Your intimacy with God is going into the next level. Your revelation of God, your ability to understand what God is doing is going into the next level where God comes and says, yes, 
I have heard your prayer. Yes, I have understood what you needed. Yes, I'm going to answer your prayer now. Yes, I'm going to answer your prayer now. Because you've been faithful in hosting my presence. He said, for I have chosen this temple and I have set it apart to be a holy place, a, a, a place that is set apart, a holy place where my name will be honored. He says, I have set this place apart. This is what you prayed for. This is what you desired for. And I have set this church apart to be a place where my name will be honored. And I will watch over it for it is dear to my heart. The Lord is speaking this over some of us who desires to host his presence. The Lord says, hey, you're building a temple for me. Here is a word for you. I will watch over you. You're building a temple for me in your house. Don't worry about the core coronavirus because I will watch over you. And I, because you're dear to my heart. Everything that you're doing is dear to my heart. It is precious to me. So God is, is telling Solomon, saying, okay, it's not enough. It's not enough that I just, you know, give you a public encounter. It's not enough that, you know, the, the fire of God comes down. It's not enough that now, uh, you know, your prayers are answered. But now I want you to know that this place is going to be dear to my heart. This place is going to be something that I'm going to watch over. Because you built this place, not for your name. You built this place to honor my name. Are there things in your life that you're building to honor his name? Anything that you're building to host God's presence. Any businesses that you're starting to host his presence. Any ministry that you're doing to host his presence. Any, any principles that you're, you're bringing into place in your home to host his presence. God is saying this about you. God is saying, hey, guess what? I am going to personally watch over it because it is going to be dear to my heart. Those things that you do to host my presence, that is dear to my heart, God says. And I am going to watch over it. My light will shine in all of this. You know, when you come to the New Testament, Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, we now have this light, this light, this glory, this presence, this glorious presence of God. It is shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. See, what we, what we carry on in the inside of us, it may, looks, it may look or feel small, but the Bible says it is, a, it is a great light. It is like carrying treasures in a clay jar. It says this great treasure is what we are carrying in our clay jars, in the in the fragile jars, in the jars can, that can be broken, in the jars that can be mistaken, in the jars that can sin, in the jars that can fail. It says these earthen jars, these clay jars, these jars now contain the treasure. We have this light of God. It says we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. Amen. See, this is what happens when the glory of God is on you, that it's not that you will ha not have any problems, it is that you may be 
pressed on every side. There'll be 10 people pressing, but you will still not be crushed. How can that be happened that you're pressed on every side and you will still not be crushed? It's because there is a light inside of me. It's because there is a glory inside of me. Because God said, this place is dear to my heart. And I'm going to personally watch over it. You know, I, I don't know what you're praying for, what areas of your life you're desiring protection over. Because God says, hey, because it's close to my heart, because it's dear to my heart, because I have answered your prayer, God says, I'm going to watch over it. And, and, and you, you, may, you may feel like you're, a, you're an earthen vessel, that you're a, you're a clay jar which is carrying this treasure of God. But it's going to be so powerful. The treasure inside of you is going to be so powerful. The glory that you're carrying is going to be so great that you may be pressed on every side. But the Lord says, you will not be crushed. You will not be crushed. Receive this church. You will not be crushed. No matter what happens, you will not be crushed. It says, we are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. Yes, it's, it's okay when you're pressed. You know, in this season, you may be pressed from other different sides. In this season, you may be perplexed, but can I declare this over you? You will not be driven to despair. In Jesus' name, every despair, everything that is trying to take you into despair, you will have the grace to understand. No, 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 this is only perplexed. I'm just being pushed to being perplexed. I'm not driven to despair. No, no, I have not reached that place where I'm crushed. It says we are hunted down, but we are never abandoned by God. Yes, like David, he was constantly hunted, constantly hunted. You know, Saul ran after him. His own people wanted to kill him at one point. We are hunted down. We are pressed on every side. But yet, the Lord says we are not abandoned by him. See, there are so many Psalms when David wrote in his wilderness where he felt like he is abandoned by God. But the truth is that God had not abandoned him. See, Joseph went through so many seasons in his life where he felt abandoned. But the Bible says, but God was with Joseph and he prospered. We may feel like we are hunted down, but God wants you to know in this season, there is a glory, there is a light on the inside of you. And because of that glory, because I'm watching over you, because I'm caring for you, because my hand is upon your life, you will not be abandoned in the name of Jesus. It says we are knocked down. Do you know what it means to be knocked down? Have you seen... Uh, Botsing, you know, where there is, a, there is like a knockout punch. It says, we may be knocked down. See, when you're knocked down, you feel like a failure, right? Because you know, man, this is it. This is it. The countdown is going on. And I will not, I don't look like a winner after this. But God says, you may be knocked down, but church, come on, look at me. You are not destroyed. You oh, Yes. Because, because of the glory you carry on the inside of you, no matter what weapons the enemy bring against you, no matter what, what road rollers he's trying to run over your life, whatever he's trying to crush you with, you will not be crushed. You may be pressed, you may be perplexed, you may be hunted, but you will not be destroyed, says the Lord. It says, through suffering, our bodies, they continue to share in the death of Jesus. Yes. 
See, there may be suffering because, see, when we have to live a sacrificial lifestyle, we have to suffer. You cannot, you cannot sacrifice without suffering. If you are sacrificing and there is no suffering in that sacrificing, then there is not sacrificing. See, if you're worshiping and your leg doesn't hurt in your worship, yeah. then that's not sacrificial worship. There is some bit of suffering involved in sacrificial worship. The Bible says, when we, do, when we go through suffering, we are sharing in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen. See, what do we do? We share in the death so that others, they can see the life of Jesus. What we experience is the death, but what others see is the life. Do you see the duality of this? What we experience is the, is the pressing, the perplexing. What we experience is the constant hunting down. What we experience is the constant knocking down. But what others see and, and they, what they testify of is that, hey, the life of Jesus now flows in and through our bodies. The life of Jesus flows through our bodies. It says, through suffering, our bodies, it continues to share in the death of Jesus. Yes, because that's how it is. It is. We are pressed. We are perplexed. We are hunted. We, because of the glory that you carry, you are a target. Because of the light that you have on the inside of you, every bee, every insect, every wild animal is going to run at you. But the Lord says you will not be destroyed. But the Lord says even when your physical body dies, even when there is suffering, even when there is challenges, the life of God will be seen in our bodies. See, I'm not talking about in your spirit. In your spirit, there's no death. But in your body, the life of God will be seen. Which means there will be health that will be revealed in your bodies. Which means there will be prosperity that will be shown in your lifestyle. Which means there will be physical answers. There will be such great expressions on your body. In your, when I say body, I'm talking about your physical world. Okay? When people walk into your house, there will be visible signs of God's goodness in your life. Oh yes, they will see, they will see the life of Jesus manifesting in your bodies. You need to be, in this season, you need to be willing to acknowledge and receive and, 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 and walk in the fullness of this. Because the Lord says, if you are willing to share in my death, you will also see the life. When you are willing to share in the death, you, are, you will be able to see the life. Others will be able to see this life. See, it's a, it's a whole lot of process. It's a lot of work. Going from the place where we build a temple for God, where we give upon things that are convenient and comfortable for us so that we can host the presence of God. We dress in a certain way. We be willing. You know, this week, can I, can I challenge you this week to, that before you come back next Friday, that you would seek out at least a few people with whom you, you feel that, okay, my relationship with this person is not perfect or my relationship with this person is not going well. Will you reach out to that person and, and if, it, if it requires for you to humble yourself, just humble yourself. Because it's not about you. It's about how we can host the presence of God together as a church. Because we don't want that one Jonah to become the hole in this ship, right? So can you pray and can, can you prepare yourself before you come next week? When you come, 
Don't come just like how you would come for a regular service. Come saying, God, I want to be one with my church. So that when I, when I sing in my church, I want, I want everybody to understand that I truly mean it. I want it to be in humility. I want it to be in submission. In fact, the Bible says we need to learn to submit to one another in reverence to Christ. And when we come to church with that heart, with that desire, I'm telling you, the presence of God that we will encounter will be completely different. The presence of God that we will witness will be on a different level altogether. Amen. Are you ready to pray? Thank you for downloading today's sermon. We hope this minister to you and your family today. Connect with us at dreamingrevival.com and you are welcome to join in to any of our Sunday celebration service at 11 a.m. Or you can turn into our live stream at youtube.com slash Pastor Bridgie. God bless you and have a blessed week.